Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mudiwa Kavaza, and for today, we do get into uh, the hard economics because it is a Friday, um, as is our tradition here on the Spotlight. And uh, I think last week, really big news, exciting news, um, you know, for the country. Um, we had Moody's um, coming out and giving a positive outlook um, on uh, the South African economy, uh, driven in part by you know some of the commodity prices and some of the gains uh, that have been made um, by the South African economy during that time and you know a lot of debate you know about what all of this stuff means and if it necessarily means that uh, South Africa is turning some type of a corner uh, when it comes to its economic outlook because we do know that a couple of, uh, about a year or two ago, we had uh, all three major ratings agencies um, rating South Africa at uh, you know junk status uh, but now this uh, puts South Africa in, uh, I believe it's neutral, it's neutral sort of territory but still uh, better than where we were uh, and now people just wait to see if there will be um, you know a proper upgrade you know in that rating you know as opposed to just the outlooks um, that are there but you know it, like anything else in economics um, the signs we always look at the signs to see um, what they mean and to help us to define a little bit better as well uh, what all of these signs mean uh, we are joined today uh, by George uh, Glinos who is a uh, the co-founder, director, and head of research over at ETM Analytics. George, greetings to you today. Greetings to you too, Modiwa, and to all the listeners to this podcast. Now, thank you so much for joining us today. I think uh, before we launch into, you know, the multitude of factors uh, that are affecting the SA, SA economy, um, barring the Moody's decision, maybe you could just give us a little bit of background uh, around ETM and analytics, just so that um, we can get a sense of, you know, where you're coming from and how and you know the type of things that you look at when analyzing the economy oh, thanks Madiwa. so etm analytics has been a company that's that's around for over 16 years now um it was co-founded by myself and uh, a colleague of mine quinton burtonshaw uh, we originally started off by focusing very much on the treasuries of the the banks uh, so very much with a financial market focus um, that led us down the road of of analyzing fixed income in other words, bond markets, and as a result of focusing so much on bond markets, we, we of course, uh, um, built up a specialization in understanding the risks associated with those bond markets. Uh, many of those risks were encapsulated in uh, the credit ratings decisions that uh, that have happened over time. Um, so beyond the the just the financial markets, uh, we have also branched out into consulting to companies more broadly on things related. To, to fixed income and uh, foreign exchange. Uh, and, and that has taken us down a very exciting path where we've developed a lot of unique insights and, and proprietary indicators that help us understand these markets a little bit better. And uh, more recently, we've started to delve into the fund management industry as well. So the group has grown uh, through the course of time and we've developed many different uh, spheres of, of specialization. 
And uh, we're very fortunate enough to boast a, a client base, both domestic and uh, international, which spans the US through Europe and, and a little bit into Asia with, with also a very strong focus into Africa. So that in a nutshell, Mudiwa is, is ETM analytics um, and the ETM group more broadly. Uh, now, looking at everything that's happened over the last week or so, I'm glad that, um, you know, at least you're coming from a fixed income sort of background because um, fixed income, you know, by its nature, you are sort of forced to look um, at the economy holistically, you know, just to see, you know, what the sentiment looks like. We have this decision that, not decision per se, but we have this outlook uh, that comes out of Moody's last week. Is it really the good news um, that people are saying it is, or is it just merely an indication that South Africa is benefiting uh, from a commodities boom, um, not necessarily of its own making? So, Mudiwa, I, I think it was classified as positive because uh, we we stopped effectively the slide. So, so just to to be clear. Um, we remain sub-investment grade, uh, but the outlook for South Africa was shifted to stable from negative. So we, we're not yet in, in the position of shifting it to positive. Um, the, the outlooks of either positive or negative give one a sense of which direction the next credit rating decision could go in. So if it's a positive outlook, uh, you, you could potentially look forward to a credit rating upgrade. If it's negative, you would look uh, forward to, unfortunately, a credit rating downgrade. Um, so we've moved out of the, the risk of focusing on a credit rating downgrade and we've shifted into stable. So stable just means that we're likely to remain at this credit rating for the foreseeable future, uh, unless, of course, some um, unless some uh, changes to the South African economy take place and we get a set of reforms that get implemented that effectively change the general trajectory of South Africa's economy and uh, the government's ability to generate taxes out of those economies, uh, those taxes, of course, being utilized to spend in, in the economy, as we know, but also, uh, hopefully, to pay down levels of debt relative to GDP. One of the things that I um, appreciate about your experience over you know, uh, the 16 years that you say an ETM analytics has been around for is to say that uh, you know you've, you started out in fixed income and then there's also the foreign exchange um, element that's there. And the reason why I want to zoom in on that is because we know that when it comes to income flows in and out of the country um the bond markets are a big um you know driver for you know movements of capital in and out of south africa so over the last week you know uh, i've seen some you know really big numbers about the amounts of uh, money that flow through the bond markets on a daily basis did we see you know an uptick was there any immediate reaction on that end or you know um was it you know somewhat of a muted reaction from what you can see I think it was more of a, a muted reaction, uh, Mudiwa. I think the uh, more, more to the point was if you zoom out a little bit uh, what, what, and, and gain a, a slightly more holistic picture, uh, what you'll find is that South Africa in terms of, and it's what in financial markets speak, we call carry attractiveness. Carry attractiveness in South Africa has actually been quite good relative to other emerging markets uh, in the world and, and certainly against 
developed markets. And, and it's attractive because our interest rates, generally speaking, are a little bit higher. Uh, so that's been a, a long-standing um, characteristic of South Africa's bond yields. They have generally been higher than they have been elsewhere. Uh, and, and so we have gone through phases where there have been um, uh, outflows. Uh, that typically happened uh, after South Africa got downgraded to junk. Uh, by by all three major rating agencies. Since then, we we kind of stabilised. Uh, there was a, a flurry uh, that took place through through 2020 on the, with the onset of the pandemic. Uh, suddenly, South Africa's debt uh, levels were going to spike. The numbers looked really ugly. People were talking about the possibility of default, and you had um, some aggressive selling that took place. But then, you know, the Reserve Bank stepped in, stabilized things. We we made it through the the um, through the pandemic quite well, and then through 2021, uh, we got some really big news. And the big news was the revision of GDP upwards. Uh, so we began to realize that the, the measure of GDP that we were using was understating the size of the economy, uh, which immediately, uh, when you apply ratios to, to the size of the economy um, and South Africa's debt levels, suddenly things improve. So with that improvement, just then in insofar as the, the debt to GDP ratios and the budget deficit to GDP ratios, all of a sudden people became less concerned about uh, South Africa defaulting. In fact, the picture changed quite dramatically, uh, accentuated, of course, by the very strong rally in commodity prices, which boosted the revenues of the mines. The mines then paid uh, colossal taxes uh, into the fiscus, and again, uh, the fiscal prognosis improved. So you had you had two big events that took place through the course of 21, uh, and they changed the picture for the South African bond market in the sense that they reduced the risk associated with bonds uh, and encouraged investors back into South Africa. Now, um, in, in terms of, of inflows, I, I don't like to get too caught up in the, in the weekly flows that are in and out and in and out because they can be quite fickle. What we, what we do focus on, though, is data that's produced by National Treasury, which gives us a sense of what percentage of the bond market foreign investors hold. And, and that was quite high at one point, um, pre the downgrades uh, to junk. We were hovering around 42%. Um, that has since reduced to anywhere between uh, 28%, 29%. Sometimes we pop back up to 30 but generally just below 30%. And it's been stable around that level for quite some time. So, you know, barring the, the ins and outs from uh, one week to the next, uh, what we have found is that there's, there is some stability that's returned uh, to the, the flows into the bond market, and that has been uh, quite stable for, for, I would say, at least 12 to 18 months now, where we've hovered around the 28 29% mark. Uh, that's actually good, at least if, if there's some type of um, stability in the markets, it always just bodes well, um, at least for knowing um, that, uh, you know, the market is something that, because I think investors, um, at least long-term ones, uh, you know, the less volatility, I guess, the better, um, for the, especially in the, what do you call this, um, in some of those uh, fixed income markets and where we are right now, um, you know, one would expect that at least some, you know, some measure of stability is good on that. And I'm sure all of that has fed into to um, the outlook that Moody's um, then gave last week. Uh, but on the back of that then, right, uh, because one of the things that you've just highlighted now is the fact that um, one can't look at 
news like this uh so the uh moody's uh moody's outlook to stable one can't look at something like that in isolation you always have to look at it within the context um you know of you know a wider picture which is why as you said zooming out a bit so at the moment right uh, there's a lot that's going on around the world uh, a lot of potential headwinds a lot of actual headwinds that um, south africa is currently facing right now um what are you keeping an eye on you know insofar as uh, i guess the rand is concerned and uh, you know so, and the bond markets so mudiwa you, you're quite right there is a lot going on um and and sometimes as an analyst it it pays to to try and come at these things as objectively as you can um, and to try and not get caught up in a lot of noise. Now, there is a tremendous amount of noise going on in the world right now. As you know, we're not through the pandemic yet. Uh, just when we thought we were loosening restrictions and things were looking good, um, infections have spiked in many places around the world and, um, and, and there have been varying degrees of response. In the UK, there hasn't been much of a response. In China, on the other hand, there's been a very aggressive response. So we're not quite sure what the, the fallout of that's going to be uh, um, over the course of the next six months or so, but uh, it, it, is a, it is a risk and, and it is a source of uncertainty and potential volatility. And so far as the war in Ukraine is concerned, we were hoping that this was going to be a quick uh, transitory event that we could get back to normality quite quickly. It's turning out that that's not the case. I think we're into our, our sixth or our seventh week of war and, uh, and, and still uh, Russia seems to be doubling down on its efforts, at least in eastern Ukraine. But the point is that you know, the sanctions continue to unfold and, and people make the mistake of thinking about these sanctions as being sort of one-dimensional, di one one-directional. Uh, they, they think about it as impacting only Russia, when in fact that's absolutely not true. Uh, if one just has a look at, at uh, what's happened to uh, food prices, grain prices, they've shot through the roof because Ukraine is an, an enormous producer of, of grains. Oil prices shot through the roof. Why? Because both Russia, uh, well, Russia is a, a huge producer. Some 10% of, of global oil production is Russian. Um, so, so we need to pay uh, attention to these, these global events that are unfolding because they're having a direct impact on uh, the very variables that we need to focus on that gives us some insight into how South Africa might unfold. Now, ironically, uh, this war in Ukraine has actually been uh, a bit of a, a boon for South Africa in the sense that it's boosted commodity prices and commodities are, of course, what South Africa exports. So from on one hand, it's a positive. And so you've had the RAND uh, uncharacteristically strengthening straight through a period of heightened risk aversion. Um, that's quite unusual. Uh, typically what happens with the RAND through periods of risk aversion is that it experiences negative volatility. In this particular instance, we've sailed straight through that. Not, not only have we appreciated, but levels of volatility have in fact declined. The RAND weirdly is behaving almost as a safe haven uh, currency and, and it's doing so because it's a proxy for the commodity player. So, so that's on, on the financial markets side of things, how it's affected um, the RAND. So what are we focusing on? Well, we're focusing on commodity prices quite specifically, and we're trying to understand the drivers of those commodity markets. And it's not just simplistically about uh, the war in Ukraine. 
uh, it's still very much about logistical supply chain disruptions. It's about uh, a scarcity that arises out of those supply chain disruptions. Uh, it's about uh, a growth environment that is recovering, um, but it's doing so in fits and starts. So you, you've got all of that going on in the background as well, which makes it quite difficult. So we're trying to understand what's driving commodities in the main because, well, we know that it's had a positive impact on on the RAND, but we, we also know that it's going to have a positive impact on, on the country more broadly, uh, help with the fiscus, in other words, let government collect, collect more taxes, and in doing so, uh, it just renders uh, South Africa a little more stable. And so, it, it doesn't surprise us that we've actually come through this with uh, much more uh, much lower levels of inflation than, than what many countries uh, elsewhere in the world have experienced. So South Africa, believe it or not, is actually weathering this, this global geopolitical storm uh, quite well, uh, but we need to keep track of, of the drivers of RAND and the drivers of, of tax revenues and things like that, because that's going to play a key role in how things unfold cyclically. More structurally, uh, you've got to sort of pull the lens back again. And um, you've got to focus on whether government is able to deliver on many of the reforms that it set out in its budget. So the budget this year, we gave uh, a five out of 10. If that sounds low to you, it's because, well, you need some context there. We had given the previous budgets twos and threes out of 10. So we, we definitely moved in, in the right direction. Um, and, and, um, but, but, and it was a reasonably good budget given the circumstances, but we, 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 the reason why we didn't give it more was simply because we needed implementation. And so, again, it comes back to, I guess, a, a form of service delivery, but this time in, in the form of delivering on reforms. And if we get to do that, uh, then we can start talking about, you know, a credit rating shifting from stable to positive uh, with, the, with the outlook uh, improving uh, possibly from then. But there's a lot resting on government being able to implement these reforms. And, and for the longest time, South Africa just hasn't done the basics right. I'm very curious to get your take um, on the, uh, what do you call this, uh, just to get your take on other emerging markets. And the reason why I'm asking about that is because um, you highlighted the fact that the RAND, for example, um, has performed uncharacteristically well um, during this time because we know that um, when there's risk-off sentiment, um, emerging markets sometimes are, are the ones that bear the brunt of that. And uh, South Africa usually gets lumped together, um, you know, with other countries, you know, the likes of Turkey, um, etc. But when I look at the at the lira's performance against the U.S. dollar of the last month, the they're down where South Africa's up. So I'm just wondering, you know, um, does the fact that specifically South Africa has such a big play in commodities, has it has sort of helped us to buck that uh, particular trend um, around what would normally be negative uh, sentiment around emerging markets? So I think that's, that's a good question. And and immediately what uh, the, the first thing we need to do is, is also just isolate um, two delinquent economies at this stage from the rest of the emerging market basket. And, and the first is, of course, Russia, uh, because Russia has become untradeable. Um, and you might look at, at the ruble strengthening prior to that, it had collapsed, um, but, but it's all over the place. Um, but, but, you know, Russia's staring down the barrel of a default, potentially uh, through all these sanctions constraining it. Its markets are barely tradable, if tradable at all. So, so you can't really invest in, in the likes of Russia. Insofar as Turkey, as you mentioned, Turkey, well, well, Turkey is being run 
very poorly uh, from an economic perspective. Uh, you've got overreach of the government, the president in particular, uh, smack bang into the role of the central bank, uh, which should be independent, which in Turkey's case is absolutely not true. Um, and, and um, you know, in, in a very peculiar move, uh, the president of Turkey has decided that interest rates are in fact the driver of inflation. Um, and has made a point of trying to, to weaken uh, or loosen monetary policy in the face of inflation that had spiked to, to more than 20%. So now they had interest rates that had been uh, raised quite aggressively prior to that. Uh, he's since reduced them and has ignored the market signals that actually interest rates in Turkey need to be a lot higher. So they're running deep negative real interest rates in Turkey. And of course, uh, speculators have taken Turkey on. Uh, so the Turkish lira has been a bit of a basket case currency over the course of the past uh, year, 18 months. Um, and, and so it too is not particularly tradable if, you, uh, if you're a speculator, sure, it might be very tradable. But, but if, if you are talking about um, more longer term type investing, Turkey is also not a great option right now, at least not until it settles down and at least not until people fully appreciate and understand the kind of policies that are going to be adopted. At the moment, the policies being adopted are Turkish lira negative. Uh, and, and so, you know, I think that that would explain the difference between, you know, the likes of Russia and Turkey and, and, and the rest of the EM basket. The rest of the EM basket, if you have a look at it, Madiwife, especially if you have a look at Latin America, for example, those currencies have actually done reasonably well. Um, South Africa has done even better than, than most. But, you know, that stands to reason when you consider that we've got such a high exposure to commodities. And it's not just the fact that we've got exposure to commodities, it's what commodities South Africa has exposure to. So, for example, um, in, in times of inflation, you tend to find people um, rotate or investors rotate towards gold. Well, South Africa produces gold. Now you're talking about uh, countries throughout Europe wanting to diversify away from energy sources uh, in Russia, uh, which is oil and gas. And, and what are they defaulting to? Well, they're turning back to coal. Guess what? South Africa produces a lot of coal too. Uh, then you're talking about uh, the, the impact on, on things like palladium, which is uh, produced uh, quite, quite significantly by Ukraine. Of course, that palladium production has, has dropped uh, substantially. And of course, South Africa stands to gain because we are a big producer of, of platinum group metals, palladium uh, being one of them. So you, you have this uh, knock-on effect into South Africa, which has been, as I said, uh, weirdly, um, this, this particular uh, geopolitical risk that has unfolded has been RAND supportive and South Africa supportive. So you, you need to look at each country uh, on its own merit. Some of the Latin American countries are oil producers, and so they will gain from that. Others do produce um, things like uh, copper, for example, um, and, and so that is, is going to support them too. Um, and and uh, overall, I think emerging markets more generally have uh, enjoyed a commodity link of sorts, and, and as a result of that, they've tended to perform quite well. Uh, so, again, if there's been a lot of volatility this time around, it's, it's actually been more focused on uh, the developed market uh, economy uh, markets rather than the emerging markets, uh, which, is, which is, I guess, makes this particular instance something a little different.
Um, I, I guess within the context of South Africa and uh, emerging markets like the ones that you've just highlighted in South America, always good news, um, you know, to sort of hear when there's a trend um, that is benefiting our local markets. But at the same time, um, just one of those things that people will sort of wait and watch uh, because I've also heard a couple of analysts um Wanting to say that as good as um, some of these, um, you know, commodity benefits have been, um, it's not. We haven't reached a, a stage yet uh, where we can say, um, you know, the cycle has really turned in our favor. A little bit more needs to be done, and especially if um, the cycle is being so influenced uh, by, you know, geopolitical situation, um, then its long or short term um, outlook becomes a little bit tricky to predict. Um, as per what you were talking about earlier on, that a lot of people thought that this Russia-Ukraine thing was going to be a quick thing, and then they would have resolved it by now uh, but the fact that we're still at it you know almost two months later you know sort of feeds into some of that uh, uncertainty uh, that's there george as we come to the end of today's discussion uh, maybe we can um, just zoom in on one or two um, of the different factors that we've talked about through the day because i'm pretty sure that um, in your work as etm analytics you guys are probably um, interfacing with uh, you know, uh, businesses, clients, etc. What are people um, on the ground, you know, people that are trading these currencies, people that are doing business in these commodities, people that are actually uh, the economic players, what are they actually um, concerned about? We've spoken about so much um, since the beginning of uh, this discussion uh, from, you know, the Russia-Ukraine crisis to um, inflation concerns. We've spoken about uh, what's going on in South Africa, the, all of that outlook. And you spoke about noise earlier on and cutting through the noise when we cut through the noise what are people actually concerned about the economic players on the ground you are a great question and i think the answer to that question really rests with uh, planning for the worst um, and and hoping for the best so by planning for the worst means you plan for a commodity cycle that potentially won't last. Okay, so if we treat this current commodity cycle as, as a, a cyclical thing, uh, in other words, it too shall pass, um, then you need to recognize that uh, we need to do more with the, with the opportunities that it gives us. Uh, and, and so we need to use it as, as, a, as, 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 a, as a, a time buying uh, opportunity, if you like, um, that that supports the South African economy to implement some deep-seated and and uh, far-reaching reforms, and to that South Africa needs to focus on doing the basics right. We need to focus on investment into into infrastructure that in South Africa is crumbling. We need to find ways to make doing business in South Africa better. We need to focus on doing uh, better in in the realm of education and upskilling um, our young. Uh, our young kids coming through school such that they become not just employable, but become entrepreneurs, become uh, exciting uh, economic uh, players in, in the South African economy. So it's about doing the basics right. And I think if it's one thing that I hear again and again and again, is that, yeah, great, George, the, this um, economy might be benefiting at the moment from, from the commodity price, but what happens when commodity prices come back down again? Uh, what will the South African economy look like? Will we be fragile and volatile and all of those ugly things all over again? 
And the fear is that we will, unless we implement these hard-hitting reforms and start doing the basics right. So that's the message from, from um, corporates to government is get the basics right. Don't worry about the flowery stuff right now. Recognize this commodity uh, um, cycle as, as a wonderful opportunity to buy some time to implement these reforms. But please implement these reforms so that we stabilize the economy at a very fundamental level. So that's been it. We were we were in uh, discussion um, with uh, George Glenos, uh, who is a uh, who is a co-founder, director, and head of research over at ETM Analytics. Um, they are specialists in financial markets, particularly um, you know when it comes to the fixed income and uh, foreign exchange markets. Um, they have a lot of specialization there. The discussion you know centered around the fact that uh, we had Moody's coming out. Uh, last week um, with a a stable outlook uh, for the South African economy moving from a negative territory and now people sort of waiting to see whether enough can be done to get South Africa over uh, to a positive outlook which um, George says usually sometimes we can indicate um, some type of uh, some type of an upgrade uh, later on down the line but uh, still more work needs to be done to actually get us um, into that positive territory and he's highlighting the fact that at the at the core of everything is to is to have South Africa fully taking advantage um, of what's going on uh, right now, particularly um, the commodities boom that South Africa is benefiting from. You know, how does South Africa take that? You know, for the long term. You know, and he's saying. Um, a lot of corporates, uh, you know, a lot of uh, organizations are looking at this and saying to government that this is a good time to use some of those, uh, some of those uh, windfalls uh, to be able to buy some time and actually implement some of the structural reforms. But you know, like anything else in economics, um, you can never look at anything in isolation. And uh, you know, a lot being said about what's going on with emerging markets, the fact that South Africa, um, you know, has been doing pretty well um, alongside some of the other the emerging markets such as those in South in South America, um, you know, and uh I like the fact that George referred to the delinquent economies um, of uh, Russia, which is under which understood um, right now, given everything that's going on, and also some of the turbulence that's being experienced over in Turkey. So, George, thank you so much for being with us today. Absolute pleasure. Look forward to the next discussion. Thank you, Mudiwa. This is Take. Very interesting discussion with George, and uh, I like the fact that uh, we focused quite a bit on what's going on in the foreign exchange markets and also the bond market. Very important, and especially because those are, you know, those are markets that tend to take a very holistic uh, view of what's going on in uh, what's going on in the market. And one of the things that was uh, pretty striking was George saying that we should not to say we shouldn't, but he. Uh, doesn't necessarily look at weekly flows um, in and out of those markets, but rather um, what's the percentage that's being held uh, by foreign investors because that's one of those markets that's uh, really, really, um, really foreign investor heavy um, when it comes to South Africa. So looking at those types of things because they they sort of 
sure what the sentiment um, is looking like for the country. And uh, over the last couple of years, there's been uh, some some factors uh, over the last year, in particular, uh, that have helped to attract more investors back um, into the South African bond market. But going forward, one of the more interesting things is going to be how does South Africa take advantage um, of uh, this commodity cycle that we are currently in. So firstly, how long is that uh, commodity cycle going to last for? And secondly, whatever is generated during that time, uh, particularly for government coffers, what is it going to be used for? A lot of people talking about uh, government maybe using some of these um, funds that are flowing in as a way to help uh, South African consumers with uh, rising fuel prices to sort of help to mitigate um, some of those impacts on consumer pockets. at the same time, the discussion that we just had has to do with uh, implementing some of the structural reforms and all of that. What are they actually going to do? What are we going to see um, on the ground? Because there is this, uh, there is the cycle. There are these profits that are being made. There is this money that's coming in and um, good, good position to be in. But at the end of the day, how does all of that end up um, affecting uh, the ordinary person like you? you and I. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Murio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.